Hello everyone, welcome back to this, our second episode for this season of our Sabbath School podcast. Very glad that you can be here with us. Uh, an auspicious event has occurred for the, for the first time in three and a bit years. Three of us are in the same room. My name's Cameron. Oh, and I'm Luke. And I'm Lachlan. Locke, do you want to take us to um, this week's lesson? Yeah, so we need to <laughs> we need to jump right into it. There's plenty that we need to talk about. And we, in the last episode, we anticipated that this quarter was going to venture onto the discussions around tithe. And we're already there. And so what we're going to do is turn to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi is at the very end of the Old Testament. We're going to read from verse 6... Um, to verse 12 and and we'll just see what we pick up here and there's there's plenty that we need to explore um so maybe i'll start uh malachi chapter 3 and starting from verse 6 i am the lord and i do not change that is why you descendants of jacob are not already destroyed ever since the days of your ancestors you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them now return to me and i will return to you says Lord of Heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we have never gone away? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. It, it goes in slightly other directions. Let's leave it there, and let's grapple with the, the very obvious key issue here. Firstly, does it seem empirically correct or obvious based on our experience of the world, that this statement is from God is, is true or universal. Does it seem right that all those who reliably and consistently tithe find themselves blessed in abundance, physically and materially, um, and that those who cheat God of tithe are cursed? It depends, I think, Locke, on whether... I mean, we don't have... We don't have in English a difference between the word you, plural, and the word you, singular. Mm. So you, you will be blessed. Uh, does that mean you, all of you? Or you in, as an individual? In verse 9, it refers to the whole nation. Yeah. And I think, I think in that sense, maybe there is some empirical defense for this. Generally, when the people of Israel did their best to do the right thing, by and large, things went better for the, for the nation collectively. I am still pretty certain that there were individuals who did the right thing for whom bad things happened, or to whom bad things happened. So uh, I'm not sure... Well, I have an interesting question that follows on from that. It's just occurred to me. Um, we may not want to go down this rabbit hole, but it's an interesting one. God's preferred method for influencing the world, is it direct what we would call miraculous or supernatural as not natural intervention or is it by changing people's behaviors to bring about a certain outcome hmm. or their characters even well yes quite 
influencing people's character, their behavior, their motivations, ultimately their actions, which lead to different outcomes. Mm. Mm. I would say that because the question occurred because we've looked at a lot of Genesis um, and most of what God does in Genesis, including dealing with Adam and Eve, is about teaching people, influencing the choices that people make, giving information to people, making covenants with people. God spends a lot of time directing Abraham to do various things. He doesn't magically make those outcomes happen directly. He gets Abraham to do it, Hmm. which is surely a much less efficient way of creating certain outcomes than yeah. than other ways that will be available to an omnipotent being. So my point is, I think God prefers to influence people's behavior. I think there's empirical evidence for that. Um, and the behavior is what creates the outcome. Mm-hmm. So on your point... We, it's quite. It's actually quite confusing looking at both of you. I can't remember who made the point. Yeah, it was you, <laughs> Locke. Um, that there is empirical, or no, was it you, Kevin? Yeah, it was you. My goodness, it's confusing. There is empirical evidence that as a collective, as a nation, Israel did better when they followed God's commands. That's because God's commands were for their benefit. There was no mm. supernatural mm. element to it, um, or at least. There was not exclusively a supernatural yeah. element. It's not because they gave tithe, God magically made the plants work better. Yeah. Because they gave tithe, they had a better, stronger society where people did their work better, looked after each other, yeah. and created better outcomes. Distributed And, and distributed wealth fairly. Fairly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, I mean, the, the thing we're skirting around is that it, this passage is quoted, even perhaps in this week's lesson, as a universal principle um, and as a reason for giving tithe. Yeah, the language that the lesson very... uses is the language of, of a contract, actually. And it, I may be pushing it slightly far, but it seems to me that it's attempting to make the claim that in passages such as the one we've just read, God is essentially committing to a contract and it's bilateral. And if we all uphold our end of the deal, which is to tithe, yeah. Um, then God will uphold his end of the deal. And, and I, I guess just really being blunt about it, I, I have an issue with that because it doesn't seem to me to be historically empirically correct. There, there, yeah. are, there are plenty of points in human history where people, many of whom were diligently tithing and being responsible in their understanding of following God, experienced cataclysmic famines. Droughts, disasters yeah. of various kinds that eliminated the availability well, of food, and that that cannot be pinned in any way to their lack of tithe. Yeah. Uh, that's my claim. C.S. Lewis was once asked whether um, uh, whether Christians have to expect to live a life of sacrifice in order to obtain happiness. He said, "I don't think Christians are out to um, be happy in that sense." He said. Um, I've never been a Christian because it would make me happy or lead to a comfortable life. I always knew a bottle of wine could make me happy. And he said he had a neighbour who was the most selfish person he'd ever met and was disgustingly happy. Um, (laughs) So there was some sense of when you're a Christian, you discover the way the world actually works. Happiness is and and, and material prosperity is not the point. Yeah, it's not not the point. Uh, There's another dimension to it as well, though. 
I am quite happy to accept that this particular moment, for didactic purposes, God said to this particular people, um, you're beginning on a journey of rediscovery. Like this is this mm. is post-Babylonian captivity, isn't it? And mm. and maybe God says, um, uh, put me to the test in this case. Mm. And let's see what happens. And this will be a teachable moment. But with my own kids, you know, I... I Sometimes you say something to them, um, uh, they're at the park and they don't want to come home, and you say, oh, you know, but it's getting dark, we need to go home, I tell you what, let's have pizza. Um, that that doesn't mean that every time they leave a park, they can expect pizza. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not necessarily the case. God is talking to a particular people here. He's not speaking in the abstract, mm-hmm. setting up a, a principle. An absolute and permanent principle of, yeah. of tithing. But so to questions then one is that i can see we open ourselves up for immediate criticism because clearly we all have issues with the concept don't like the 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 moral implications of the idea of contractual benefit to tithing Mm. and we don't like the the empirical the lack of empirical evidence of it particularly in the modern world um where some of the most materially prosperous people in the world and materially prosperous nations for that matter yeah. Very much do not tithe. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think we are, we're, there's an immediate criticism of us, which is because we have this bias, yeah. we are simply not reading the text straight. We're yeah. trying to explain away what it actually says. Because what it actually says, as you pointed out just now, Cam, is very clear. Yeah. God says, you do this, I will do this. bless you with material prosperity. Yeah. Mm. Um, that is what the text says. Yeah, it's... It does. And um, exactly, so the question is then, well, what then ought this mean to us? And um, there's a couple of ways it can be used. And again, I'm not, I'm a bit undecided on this. Essentially, I think what the lesson is recommending to us in the interpretation of this is uh, you ought sacrifice tithe because it's not actually a sacrifice. You'll get it all back anyway. You'll be financially mm. better off. Mm, it's yeah. an investment. It's yeah. an investment. Look, it's, it's, it's a religious version of the same thing that, Nonprofits tell their donors, not without empirical evidence, there is evidence of this, that people who... Now, there's have got to be careful here. There is a correlation between people who donate and people who are financially better off and happier. Right. Right? Yeah. There's a correlation there. It would be a mistake to imply a causal link without any further evidence. Yeah, Yeah. and which direction the causal... people who donate to good causes are happier... And yeah. have more money than people who don't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's one thing that we need to put out there straight away. It's interesting that it's only 14 pages on in my Bible. And it's Matthew 5 verse 45. Um, uh, For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. This is in the Sermon on the Mount, mm, quoting words quite. of Jesus. Yes. And it's, it's a very different picture of the world, isn't it? From the one that we just read in Malachi. Because Jesus seems to be acknowledging no, yeah. the, the problem that I have identified in yeah. history, which is that it does seem that the rain falls and the sun comes it's, and it's somewhat independent. It's not inconsistent, Locke, because we're assuming that Malachi is, God is addressing the good guys, but he's not. He's addressing the bad guys. And he makes it clear in verse 6 where he says, I'm a gracious God, and if I wasn't, I would have destroyed you by now. Okay, true. Yes, but he is yeah. still putting a condition that they change their behavior before they receive the benefits. So it's the same as, as Jericho. Jericho had to repent mm. 
Uh, no, sorry, Jonah and... Uh, Nineveh. 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 Same as Nineveh. Nineveh had to repent to not be destroyed by the flood. Mm. Well, actually, Nineveh, Nineveh was told they would be destroyed. And there was no promise yes. of any change at all. And they happened to repent. And then, <laughs> and then so, they... so, I mean, it's okay. a difficult one to trace down. The If we go over to Mark, um, we get... Well, if Just to make it clear that I'm not... I am uncomfortable with someone standing up and saying, you must give me money because... Otherwise, you will... You will be not prosperous. Otherwise, you'll be not prosperous. Um, in Mark eight thirty four, Christ does say that um, the Christian life is one where we are called to sacrifice. So he says, um, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Mm. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? There's a couple of directions this could go. Um this idea of becoming disciplined, uh, rehearsing generous acts mm, is an element of tithe. Is it a regular Ooh, reminder? And I actually, that's uh, to me, that's, and you know, we're going to have more opportunities in coming weeks to talk about tithe, I'm sure, on other occasions. But to me, that's one of the most inherent benefits of tithe is this idea of rehearsing and consciously practicing the, the, the act of generosity. And, you know, I've actually been discussing this with my wife. I have been, uh, for the last couple of years, I have actually been manually paying my tithe rather than setting it up as a regular automated payment. And the reason for that was because of this specific point. If I manually perform that Mm. transaction, it's online, it's electronic, but if I manually perform it every whatever, week, fortnight, month, um, then it is a conscious act. Of deliberation and decision mm. whereas if I set it up as a routine automatic payment then it's it's almost out of out of my mind and it's and it, and I've and I have wondered whether I may be missing out on some of the inherent benefits of yeah. of tithing um, and there's a certain irony in that in that speaking as something of an insider what organizations that receive donations and tithe is just a religion mm. They much prefer you to have automated payments because it's better for them. It's easier for them. It's less work for them. It's more consistent income stream for them, which can then be strategically allocated to where it's most needed Mm -hmm. um, and and, and can be planned for reliably. So all organizations, the gold standard is an automatic recurring monthly Mm -hmm. donation. That's what everybody wants. So there's a certain irony in the fact that what is best for the tithee is not necessarily what's best for the tither there's there's a couple of directions that have occurred to me one of them is um we're assuming that tithe means the giving of money to a formal institution which we need to go back and revisit deuteronomy and i'll do that soon before we go though this passage in mark two minutes ago i was saying i was uncomfortable with this idea of making people more willing to tie to, to tithe by telling them that they'll get it all back anyway. Mm. It's fine to give because you'll get it all back anyway, and so it's not really it's not really a sacrifice then, is it? Mm. But now I'm looking at this passage I've just read from Mark. Whoever whoever loses their life for me in the gospel will save it. Mm. That's what that's what Christ is saying. He's saying, mm. and yeah. I guess I guess there is an element of of truth to saying there's nothing that we give to God that will be truly lost in terms of mm. net value and. The thought occurs to me that this paradigm might be an example of something that I've suffered through for the last six years um, in the teaching profession, 
where teachers always um, ascribe to a certain type of um, falsehood. Uh, it's demonstrably false, but it's repeated all the time. Uh, thing, they make statements like, uh, a good teacher, we, we'll have to improve our, we get a teacher professional learning day and it's, we're gonna learn a new model or method or tools for behavior management because good behavior management can help uh, children succeed. All right, well, let's have a show of hands for all the teachers at the school. Um, how many of your classes are filled with students with consistently good behavior? Oh, no one. Or a good teacher inspires their students. I have been teaching for six years and none of my students, maybe one, has finished a degree in mathematics. Some of them have done a minor in mathematics. But I haven't inspired many students. Mm. Um, so empirically, it's just garbage. Um, it's not entirely garbage, though. There's sort, of, there's sort of a nugget in there somewhere. Right, it's an exaggeration. Or it's an overgeneralization. Yeah. And, and generalizations, uh, for anybody who hasn't heard me rant about this topic before, generalizations are, in fact, just a type of falsehood. <laughs> if, yeah. if you remove all of the detail and nuance from something to the point yeah. that you can make a simple, straightforward, single-sentence yeah. statement about, about it, yeah. you're actually just saying something which isn't true. Yeah, you're saying something, but by saying something um, striking which is not true, you're making, good. you're making an attempt to convey something striking, which is true. Yes. Okay. So yes. there's... A, a generalization... That's a very good way of putting it. A generalization is a way of, of trying to illustrate something which is true by saying something which isn't true. Okay, so this, this is, this is <laughs> starting to sound a little bit more like well, a way well, that I'm hearing Malachi 3. Yes, I was going to say... That ties really nicely into what Cam was talking about, where this is a specific statement to a specific people mm. at a specific time. Well, if we take it to be a general truth, perhaps we are making it into something which is not true. Yeah, I, I, I think so. And, and let's just take a moment to look just a little closer at these specific people. So we pick this chapter up in verse 6. The chapter starts with, with Malachi um, and announcing or anticipating the coming of um, uh, God's messenger. Um, the messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming. And of course, this is, this is quite messianic sort of stuff, right? And, and we come through and this, this messenger is going to be like a blazing fire that refines metal or a strong soap, um, refiner of silver, burning away the dross, purify the Levites. So there's this sense that this messenger from God is going to make a big change and he's going to clean up, purify, keep what is worth keeping and you know, burn away what is, what is not worth keeping. But then in verse 5, just before we picked up at the start of this episode, at that time I'll put you on trial. Again, speaking to this same audience that, we're, that we've just heard. I am eager to witness against all sorcerers and adulterers and liars. I will speak against those who cheat employees of their wages, who oppress widows and orphans, or who deprive the foreigners living among you of justice. For these people do not fear me, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. And it's, it's, in that, it's, it's launching from that observation into mm. this discussion about tithe. And it makes me reflect on, we've discussed tithe before. I, I found the wording really interesting what? because the tithe is going into the storehouses of the te So there will be enough food mm. in my temple. Well, What's this, the this, food this, in the this temple is for? This going to lead us really nicely into Cam's Deuteronomy thing. And we'll go there in a second. Mm. I just, I just want to say, you made the point, Cam, mm. that this is a message to the bad guys. Mm. Why are they the bad guys? 
because they're doing these things. And I find it interesting that this grouping of sins is really interesting because, yes, we've got sorcerers and adulterers and the Adventists have lots to say about those groups. (laughs) Um, But alongside them, we also have liars, Mm -hmm. people who don't pay fair wages, people who treat socially disadvantaged people badly and people who treat immigrants badly. We we had, this is a story I once had in a church board meeting, someone very well-meaning who... Um, was themselves personally quite generous and who was came from an older generation where stewardship meant um, minimal spending mm. on yourself so that you could then do wise things with your money and, and, and had, had been very disciplined in their own life at doing this. And they were, they were a well-meaning person and they were on a church board. And uh, a debate lasted for 40 minutes about whether we should increase the pay we were paying uh, a church member um, to come and clean the church with their daughter because they were out of work at the time. And could we increase their hourly rate from $16 an hour to $20 an hour, which was the going rate? Mm. And um, he was like, but they're happy to work for $16 an hour. Um, and I was in the room and I was thinking, but but so, they've, they've got no job. And they're coming in. <laughs> I mean, what's, what does stewardship mean? It's confusing personal thriftiness yeah. with... Uh, uh, company policy yeah you know and what is good financial management for an individual is not good financial management for a company well, not be... and not good financial management for a country either yeah 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 um, um psalm 50 i'm just going to read this um this is this is, this will resonate with the verse we've just been reading from malachi uh i'll testify you again this is verse seven israel i'm god your god i Bring no charge against you concerning your sacrifices or concerning your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. I have mm. no need of a bull from your, your stall or goats from your pens. Every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. The world is mine and all that's in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Sacrifice thank offerings to God, fulfill your vows to the Most High and call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and will honour me. But the wicked person says... Um, what right, uh, God says to the wicked person, what, what right have you to recite my laws or take covenant on your lips? You hate my instruction and cast my words behind you. When you see a thief, you join them. You throw your lot in with the adulterers. You use your mouth for evil and harness your tongue to deceit. So um, here, God, here God seems to be saying a different story to Malcolm. Mm. Well, no, I think it's the same. I think it's the same story. And, and here's why. And then we can go to Deuteronomy. This will lead mm. in really nicely to it. And I know you want to get there, Cam. Um, God, these, these people are doing something wrong. And God says, you have, to do, you have to change what you're doing. You have to do something else, something right. Mm. And then I will bless you. Right? It doesn't say that... It, the subtitle of this in the Bible, it says, Breaking Covenant by Withholding Tithe. Mm. That's in the NIV, right? That's the subheading mm. before verse 6. That's editorial content. That is not part of the original text. And I think that's wrong. Mm. Because verse 5 says what they're doing to break the covenant. There is nowhere in these verses that says that the Israelites were not, as they have been taught to do, giving 10% to the Levites. Mm. doesn't say they weren't doing that. Yeah, okay. It's, that We're assuming they weren't doing that. All that this passage says they weren't doing, well, or rather all that it says they were doing wrong, is what is in verse 5. Yep. It doesn't make any mention of their cultural tithing. Mm. Yep. I found the, the, the keyword cheat 
um, to be interesting mm. there as well because the in verse 5, I'll speak against those who <coughs> cheat employees of their wages. And then um, in the little rhetorical dialogue or rhetorical discourse in verse mm. Um, seven, eight, and nine. But you ask, you know, how can we return what we never, what when we've never gone away? Eight. Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. So yeah. So there's well, this keyword of that of the. It's of this like idea what, of cheating. what was Zachariah doing wrong? Mm. He wasn't sinful because he was a tax collector. He was sinful because he was a corrupt tax collector. Okay. Mm. Now maybe all tax collectors were corrupt, <laughs> and therefore just saying tax collector meant yeah. a corrupt person. Yeah. But. It, it, the, it wasn't his job. It yeah. was something else that he was There's, doing wrong. Deuteronomy. Okay, we, we've got this the wrong way around, it occurs to me, because we're, we've got this distinction between cheating God, these people are cheating me, but then it, they've been cheating widows and orphans, really. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Put that in the context of the parable of the sheep and the goats. Yes. And the conflict is resolved. Yes. The way Very these much. people have been cheating God is by not looking after needy people. Mm. So that's the context. In Deuteronomy 12, and we did a whole 13 episodes on Deuteronomy, and this uh, stuck with me because I recommended it to, to the, my local church and they did not adopt it, which I thought would be a good idea. But um, this was instructions about tithe. Uh, you must not eat in your towns the tithe of your grain and new wine and olive oil or the firstborn of your herds and flocks or whatever you have vowed to give or your free will offerings or special gifts. Instead, you are to eat them in the presence of the Lord your God at the place the Lord your God will choose. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites, who haven't done any work for the food mm. in terms of agricultural work uh, to make the food, you are to rejoice before the Lord your God in everything you put your hand to. Be careful not to neglect the Levites as long as you live in your land. So what people are meant to do with their tithes in the Deuteronomy is to all come to the same place together mm-hmm. and to have a big party and everyone Where gets the food. Everyone gets a, yeah. an equal portion. And it, I think there's other other yeah. Old Testament versions where it actually talks about yeah. it, it's and it, people, people who amounts. have more expected to bring more yeah. and everybody gets equal access. So I think that what we should do is everyone brings, say, um, 5% of their weekly income to put it all in a pot and the whole church goes out to mm. dinner somewhere. Well, this and, is, and invites everybody in the community. And invites yeah. everyone in the community. No, but this yeah. we're going to have to touch on this in future episodes because it does raise the fascinating question in a country like Australia where we pay income tax. Um, to what extent is the social obligation of the tithe system in the Old Testament actually yeah. well, that's already a very covered, interesting already covered by our modern contemporary um, much more social than 10% obligation well, much more than 10% one thing one but, thing it would suggest is that a christian ought to be careful about how aggressively they minimize their tax well this this is exactly yes. what i'm wondering about does aggressively minimizing my tax and remember so if you are international remember in australia our tax is funding many things but among those things are Access to healthcare, access to education for all, including the widows and orphans. Yeah. Um, education, which is life transformative for many people, including yeah. the the socially disadvantaged. Emergency um, support, so housing for single mothers who uh, yeah. have abuse mm. at, in their house. And the le- the so Levites, though, aged care. Okay, aged care. The Levites, yeah. though, that's different. So if if the Levites are, and I'm not sure this is true, but if they are in any way connected to our ecclesiastical class, the pastors of our yeah. church, and we should support, them. then we mm. supporting them does mean 
tithing the way we do it in the Adventist system because their wages are coming yeah. from the Adventist church organization, which receives yeah. income through tithe. Mm. So all I'm commenting on is it's not, it's not as if tax is the modern tithe, yeah. but certainly when we get into quibbles about, about you know, keeping our contract to pay our 10%, it's not at all clear to me at first glance, mm. how that maps across in I any mean, way to our, to well, our era. I just before we do that, just coming back to, there is another connection between Deuteronomy and Malachi, right? Because what does God, what, what does it say in Deuteronomy about um, they should bring the food in and they should have a big party, right? Yeah. Right? That's yeah. what you do with the tithe is you yeah. feed everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, you look after the, the most vulnerable in society. You look after the priesthood. Um, everybody joins in it. What does God tell them to do in verse 9 in 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 verse 10, sorry, in Malachi? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Yeah. What is the food food in God's house for? Yeah. It's not for God to eat. It's not for God. Yeah, because God's got, I like that verse, Ken, God's got all the cows and insects and birds in the forest. It's not just that he owns them, he knows every bird. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's the the next order of magic. So this was, this was, I was noticing the same thing. It's quirky, isn't it? Because it's, it's literally, even here in Malachi, it's, it's got to be, the storehouses of the temple have to be full with food for a reason. Food is not like money. Food goes off. It's not, it's not indefinitely storable. So it doesn't help anyone's temple storehouses to just be stocked no. full of rents Any food, food donated to the temple, temple, particularly in an era before refrigeration. Yeah. I mean, mm. they had some preservation techniques yeah. since yeah. very, very ancient times. Yeah. But in an era before refrigeration, any food donated to the temple is going to be eaten within, quickly. Within yeah. days. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, well, there's a principle then. Luke, I cut you off. You go. No, no, you go. Uh, you cut me off, and then and then my brain stopped. My Sorry. brain cut me off <laughs> rather than you. My uh, my opinion is that there is an underlying principle at work here, which may require significant modification in cultural times I've and places. Remembered now. I was just I was just going to say that I think it's important to clarify. We may, maybe we could have done it up front. I don't think any of us is against paying tithe. No. We're not advocating for people not to pay tithe. Yeah. I think paying tithe is a good thing. And I think also that um, there are good ways for something like a church organization to ask for tithe. And you actually gave us a really cool story yeah. about a church treasurer who did that, Cam. Yeah, it was, a, it was a, someone who has a fair bit to do in the church hierarchy with the, with the monitoring of tithe and distribution of tithe. And um, he... Uh, got up to preach once and he worked at the division and um, the person I was sitting next to said, oh, he's, a, he's an accountant. I bet he's going to preach on tithe. And he did. And this was initially a, a source of some mirth, but it was the best tithe sermon I've ever had because in half an hour, he just went through what the tithe's actually used for. Mm-hmm. Um, where does the money go and how much of it goes here and how much of it goes there and um, the sorts of variety of institutions it supports and and track to how tithe has changed over time and uh just finished by saying that you know uh he thinks it's really important people know what they're giving to and mm-hmm. and would encourage us to give tithe and sat down and i found that yeah. yeah yeah well i mean so it's interesting the church and the lesson in fact often takes a moralistic view of tithe you are morally uh inferior if you don't tithe yeah or indeed and perhaps even cursed it cursed right and and you must tithe because it is what god expects of you yeah um and whether or not that's true 
it is a fact that telling people that is not a good way to persuade them to give uh, tithe. Uh, it's not an effective yeah. communication strategy. What is much more effective, Cam, is what you just mentioned, which is telling people what is done with it. Yeah. And every nonprofit, I mean, any any honest nonprofit, and most nonprofits are honest, that is out there doing good in the world, mm. is perfectly morally justified to say to people who they want to donate to them, you should donate to us. It's the morally correct thing to do. And if you don't, you're morally inferior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But only churches try that approach. Nobody else does it because it doesn't work. (laughs) That's fascinating. That's fascinating. Interesting. But, yeah, I was wondering if there might be some underlying principle here that requires a different expression in different cultures. And obviously in the culture where you can't refrigerate food, tithe necessarily is going to be eaten by by people. Well, that's a really interesting point because we have been talking this entire time based on the assumption that tithe is money. Yeah. Right? That's our mm. context. But very clearly, in yeah. the Old Testament and the New Testament, tithe wasn't money. It, we, w- it was, But they were agricultural societies. Yeah. So, so it, we it might was, have to reinvent... It was economic yeah. um, produce. Yeah. Mm. We, might, we might have to... It was to re- GDP. It was <laughs> GDP, yeah. Essentially. Um, we might have to reinvent um, the principle and find an appropriate way of expressing it. And I think the underlying principle is uh, find a disciplined way to think of other people. Well, mm. and, and and higher purposes. Don't don't do it in a haphazard way. Find a disciplined way. Yes. C.S. Lewis said, "Being humble is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking less of. It's thinking of yourself less, less. often. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Yeah, that's yes. right. Um, um, well, so the the reason I I. I, I bring it up because I think it's a really interesting brainstorming session and we've touched on it in various ways as well is what other sorts of tithe our cultural tithe as I called it which is is the culture of the organized church Mm. is 10% of your income interestingly before tax which Mm. may not in fact be as moral as the church thinks it is (laughs) Um, 10% of your income to the church that's your tithe you do that you are you are justified before, if not God, uh, the church administration, and they won't criticize you for your moral failings. Yeah. Right? Um, but the Old Testament examples, the shared food, um, the supporting, uh, you, you know, it's, it's made very clear in these verses, and basically every Old Testament prophet, that tithe is a part of worshiping God. One of the ways that, the, the, the main way that God likes to be worshiped is when we care for other people. They are made mm. in his image. So what so, other ways might... What other things can we or do we do that look after other people that might be considered tithe mm. in terms of use of time or or uh, use of skills, you know, pro yes. bono. So in-kind donation is, mm. is that you're donating goods or services, yes. not money, yeah. um, that can be used. Um I think it's an interesting concept. There's an idea which I can't take credit for. I learned about this from the Latter-day Saints. And I know firsthand that they do a lot of good work with idea. What their church members do is, and I think they do this as well as cultural tithing, traditional tithing, if we want to call it that, even though looking at the Bible, it's not that traditional. Um, what they do is they will have fast days as a church, as a group, as families, as, as, yeah. as a community, and, um, 
they will then take the money that they would have spent on food for that day and they will donate it to their to their humanitarian um the latter-day mm. saints charity services right um who will do non is not proselytizing not evangelizing yeah. they will do humanitarian work with it yeah that's how they fund so i work for adra the adventist development relief agency that's how they fund their adra yeah. entirely they, 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 they doesn't fundraise, doesn't ask for a current donation, whatever. Yeah. The entire church organization does this fast day fundraising activity. Yeah. And that is their source of funds. I personally think it's brilliant. And I think it meets the required definitions of tithe. Yeah. So um, I'm wondering, I could stand to lose a few kilograms. <laughs> well, this is what I was maybe, maybe, say, probably do us all good. Yeah, maybe, good. maybe, look, there's about 30 days a month. If you yeah. do three days a month yeah. of fasting, yeah. that's 10% of your yeah. food yeah. for that month. Yeah. And you take what you would have spent on that food and you donate. Is that not tied? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. What I like about that, and this is, this is the idea that we're going to have to come back to in future episodes. It's this idea of how if, uh, of tithe being most... We, we've talked about this idea of God blessing us through the act of tithing. And I don't, but I don't see empirical evidence to see that God automatically is forced to bless you materially and through some sort of supernatural contract yeah. but i yeah. do see there being great blessing in the practicing of generosity and for that blessing to be most effective the generosity has to be conscious decision and this is exactly what yes. i was pondering before and what i like about what you've just described luke is that it is a it is a a consciously experienced you can't fast by yes. accident it's it's a conscious yeah. choice and act of <coughs> will you're not mm. just setting up an automatic payment mm. you're not even doing a manual payment you're doing something else physical yeah. human beings are very mm. good at responding to physical stimuli yeah our bodies and brains learn better if mm. there's a physical component um you so it's it's like you say it's a conscious choice it's a practice and i think that is where the blessings at least on an individual level i can't speak to on a national or a, a societal level Although I, I have some ideas about that. But on an individual level, I think the, the benefits of tithing are exactly as you describe yeah. them. That it, it is practice in being generous. It's practice in thinking about others. Mm. Which is what we're called to do all the time, all not, the just, time. not just a tenth of the and time. There's mm. a sense in which empirical evidence for something like this can't be, can't be determined by experiment. It's the same reason as prayer. If you said, let's get a bunch of people together as an experiment to pray for one person and not another person um, <laughs> and see what happens. Surely, surely one prerequisite for prayer being answered is its sincerity. And it is not sincere if it's being done for the purpose <laughs> of an experiment. Even if your sincere intention is to yeah. do is to do it. So some but this of... is this is what the lesson is asking us to do. And mm. and. It seems to be what God is saying. I don't think it's what he's saying on face value when he says in Malachi, put me to the test. Um, I think in the context of the whole minor prophets, uh, God is trying to say, um, think of yourself less and you'll have a better life. Mm. He's, the way that passage is used encourages navel-gazing rather than discourages. Yes, ah. and I think, I think it's, it's a really sad way of interpreting that passage because yes. I think that passage should be a call to action. Not, yes. not, yeah. not a call a, to generous action. Yeah, yeah. and I, I make... One more point about that whole idea of God sort of saying, put me to the test on this. I will bless you, yeah. right? We have various, Christianity and theology generally has various versions of 
ideas about the sort of omnipotence that God has, right? Mm. But one of the things that I think everybody could fundamentally agree on was a, a supernaturally intelligent being, a theoretically most intelligent, infinitely intelligent being, would be very good at predicting outcomes, <laughs> right? Regardless of anything else. So if God knows that if they do this, they will have a better, juster, more fair society, a society yeah. in which people do their work better yeah. and, 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 and create literal, direct, better outcomes. Yeah. People farm better because they live in a just, yeah. happier society. And mm. that means more yeah. farm output, more productivity. If that sounds far-fetched, there is a lot of evidence that that there is, is, there is that is how it works. The yeah. Companies, companies um, where there's a larger pay disparity between the people at the top and people at the bottom have poorer employee mental yeah. health and morale. Yeah. And, yeah. and maybe then there is then a very definite connection here. Absolutely. God's saying, look, if only you could organise yourselves in a way where the people at the bottom had less need to do the wrong thing and less moral licence because they're looking at you mm-hmm. and you're sitting there with everything in it. Um, Perhaps this might be a closing thought. It is quoting it in the in the context that he never used it in, but it I think rings true here as well. A quote by uh, Chesterton, and it's from Orthodoxy, and this encapsulates the idea of us trying to think of ourselves less and genuinely trying to think of the needs of other people and beyond us, and also touches on the idea that there is actual re- reward in doing so. Um, in Orthodoxy, in one of the early chapters, he makes this statement. Um, uh, how much larger your world would be if only you could be smaller in it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's quite good, isn't it? Mm. If only you could make yourself smaller in it, might, might be the actual phrase. Mm-hmm. If only we could find... if And that is a frighteningly concept. But it has application to tithe everywhere. And you think, all right, well, proportionally, how many minutes of the day do I actually spend worrying about someone else's problems? And, that's, and that shrinks my world mm. to mm-hmm. me. Yes, uh, it's a very, very good point. Um, I had a final thought as well, good. which is, is that we, you, you mentioned the, the parable of the sheep and the goats at one point in our discussion, and it's a really good parable. One of the things that's very clear from that parable is when God says, you have done this injustice against me, anywhere, in the, I think this one is a universal constant. Um, what he means, at least partially, is you have done this injustice against other people, mm-hmm. right? So if we take that and we apply it to Malachi 3, verse 8, the, the, the people ask God, well, the God says to the people, will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? And then mm. the people, but you ask, how are we robbing you? Mm. And we replace it with, how are we robbing others? Mm. How are we robbing poor people? How are we robbing disadvantaged? How are we robbing immigrants? Yeah. That's a very good thought uh, to close on. Uh, thank you so much to our listener. Uh, Ken uh, will be joining the podcast again. I know he's missed out on the last three episodes. It's just the the way the schedules have fallen out over this Christmas period. But we're all starting to wind up for 2023. And and um, and uh, Ken will be back with us shortly. So uh, if you have any ideas, uh, feel free to email us at sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com. And please join us again for next week's episode.